Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Winning as Women, powered by the Compete Network, where we spotlight the best sellers, revenue leaders, and coaches to unpack the stories and lessons that brought them to where they're at today. I'm your host, Jody Geiger, and we've got a special follow-up episode for you today. Earlier this month, you got to hear my conversation with the great Michelle Beach, formerly of Dooley, Drift, Datadog, to name a few. Uh, and now Michelle is on to her next adventure, co-founding Minnow Light Consulting, a company that supports early-stage startups building their go-to-market motion. But if you heard my conversation with Michelle, you'd know that she's a heck of a lot more than just her job titles. Uh, as a mom of two boys, a career learner, a risk taker, she's also an introvert who once employed a LinkedIn ghostwriter and much, much more. We had a fun conversation and the feedback has been really great. Make sure to go listen to that episode if you missed it. And we have a special episode for you today. Um, Michelle has graciously agreed to chat with us to answer listener submitted questions. So Michelle, welcome back and thanks so much for being here today. Thanks for having me again. I'm excited. Let's do this. Yeah, I can't wait to get to, to these questions with you. Uh, helping us out today is someone who usually hides in the background, but I'm going to invite him on mic today. Ben Ronald is a content producer at Clue and the producer of this fine show. Producer Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jody. Hey, Michelle. Hi, Ben. Awesome. Well, let's get going, Ben. Uh, when is the first question that you have for us? Okay, so the first question comes to us from Chelsea Fitzpatrick. She's the COO at Park Insurance. Um, this question is for Michelle. Michelle, how do you explain the seeming disconnect between being resilient and accomplished in your daily life versus what transpires on social media? Great question. I prefer to have one-to-one conversations and talk to people in real time because I'm so afraid that there's going to be a typo or my attitude and mindset doesn't necessarily get through through with the words that are on the paper or actually on the screen and social media. And it's that fear that it might, might be misread to be more negative or aggressive um, as opposed to where my actual attitude is coming from, where it's usually coming from the heart or trying to help others. Um, but it's more just perfectionist is a, is a issue for me where everything has to be perfect. And uh, putting it out there to many different people worries me that it's not perfect and won't resonate as opposed to you can, I can have a conversation with you and you can feel my tone and feel what's actually coming out with my words and my body language. I'm always using my hands. Um, that's different for me. Totally. And I think there's the, the sentiment, you know, everyone's a jerk until you get to know them. <laughs> uh, and I think that for me, I'm not sure if you share this, Michelle, um, but I can be, um, you know, almost, I can be wrong and strong and I can also be maybe misinterpreted or or perceived as having strong opinions held tightly versus strong opinions held loosely. And I think the more that you get to know me, you, you know, in person that I'm very willing to change my mind and I love new ideas and I love people with a backbone that have an opinion. Uh, but that, you know, putting it out there, when being an extrovert, my thoughts are coming to me and everything is a bit playful. I haven't thought about them deeply. It's just, it's coming in the moment. And the thought of that being concrete and taken as it is, 
uh, and misinterpreted that there's, you know, been so much thought and data and exploration already put into it is terrifying because I always like the, the chance to change my mind and update my thinking. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're sharing your thoughts and your opinions that you feel pretty strongly about, but then it goes back to the fear of like, someone might not agree with me, but they don't have the opportunity to go back and forth with me to un- like clearly understand this is where I'm coming from. What else you got for me, Ben? <laughs> Next question is from Kate Helm. She's a high school teacher in the Burnaby School District, which is just outside the Metro Vancouver area here. Um, she wants to know, Michelle, can you tell us a bit more about your process for setting goals? It's a good question. Um, actually looking at next year, setting goals, and I look at failures of things I didn't, were not able to accomplish um, over the last quarter, month, or year, and I unpack why and what got in the way. Um, also trying to understand if those are the right goals, and then how I can pivot to set goals that I can accomplish, but are also a little bit of a challenge and how they impact me in a positive way. So how is it going to always help me become a better version of myself? Um, And that is actually taking time to just sit with yourself and identify areas of weakness, areas that you want to run towards. Um, For me, most of it has to do with like overall health and milestones that I want to accomplish running my first 5k is something that I want to do. That's not easy in the dead of winter in Boston, Mass, and um, balancing everything else. So identifying ways that I can actually accomplish that. If I fail, that's okay. There's also spring and summer, but trying to push myself to do that is really important. So just identifying areas of your own life and things that you want to accomplish. And it could be something really small or something really big. And also being okay with not accomplishing it I think is also super important. Um, but looking at next year more from a career perspective is more revenue driven and then unpacking what al- what else actually needs to go into meeting those revenue targets and goals. And then it goes into, okay, continuing to be a little bit more uncomfortable with networking and outreach and, and things like that to do that. I already know that I need to do it in order to hit you know our business targets. So hopefully that's helpful. I'm wondering, Michelle, how um, do you create the space to do that? What's the actual cadence for that reflection in terms of what worked, what didn't, and the planning for future? Yeah, I think for me, the holidays are a, a time where I reflect a lot. So you're, you're around family a lot. You're you're thinking, I personally look back at the previous years and where we were at it's Thanksgiving this week, like what were you doing last year? And the year before that was COVID and what did I miss? I think I'm right now I'm reflecting a lot on that and um, tying that into certain things that I want to accomplish. And it all, it typically goes into my family. So I'm, I'm looking at my boys and my husband and my, you know, my, my immediate family and the time that we're going to spend with them on Thanksgiving and where we were last year, what I accomplished over the over that like 12 month time frame and where I want to be. So it's taking the time for myself of sitting down and reflecting. Um, and I have, you know, times of the day or times over the weekend where I just set time for myself. It's usually when I'm walking my dog and I just take time to think about, okay, actually I haven't walked you in like 
three weeks. I am so sorry. And that's a goal now that I've set, like I need to get outside and walk him more that cause it's not fair to him, but just always thinking about how I can improve. And, and that time is usually when I have very minimal time to myself. It's just wiring my day that way of always thinking about where I'm running towards, um, which isn't easy. So identifying areas that throughout your day that you have time to focus. So waking up before the family and having coffee and just looking at your calendar and your calendar for this week and also the next month and setting a schedule and a routine. So every Thursday, this is just an example, every Thursday morning, you're going to look back at what you accomplished that previous week and where you want to go the next next month. And then identifying days of actually sitting and reflecting um, and then setting those goals, I think is important. Who are you sharing those goals out with? Um, typically my husband, and if it has anything to do with a business related, it's my business partner. So we have a, we have a doc that we share and we check off every single week of what we're doing, what we're doing to accomplish all of those goals. And, um, it's hard because you're running at such a fast rate. And when we strike out the things that we didn't accomplish, it sucks. It's hard, but it's identifying what we're going to do the next week to actually accomplish it. So today was one of those days where we talked about planning and um, things that we have every single week on our list and we just haven't had the time to do it. It's not necessarily things that need to be done, but it's important to us. So I booked an office space for next Wednesday and we blocked a calendar off and we're going to, it's, I marked it as jam session and we're just going to jam on the things that we have not been able to accomplish, but it's important for us to do it. Um, And I think that goes into the routine of scheduling and looking at your weeks, your days, your months, before you know it, the year's over and the quarter's over. And next thing you know, it's springtime and I didn't do the 5K that I wanted to do, but that's okay. And um, I'll adjust and look at the, the coming months and how to squeeze in those training sessions and whatnot. But I think it's important to actually have a sounding board. So whether it's a, a good friend or a family member and letting them know, hey, this is something I want to accomplish over the next year or next quarter. And I ask for my husband to hold me accountable to it, um, whether he does it or not. It's just something that I'm actually like getting out there like, okay, someone else knows that I'm trying to do this and it's out there. I don't know if you've experienced this, but something for me that really shifted with goal setting and uh, accomplishing you know, big things work work-related mostly, although as as you were talking, I'm thinking, oh, I should be and could be applying this uh, to my personal life as well. Uh, but work-related is being able to be ruthless around my prioritization. What are the things that, um, or what is the one thing, the top two things that I need to accomplish this quarter? What does that mean in terms of this month that I'm doing? What are the actual breakouts in terms of, you know, smart goal um, breakouts? And specifically, what I think that's allowed me to do is focus in on the measurement aspect. Mm-hmm. So I think previously, when I thought about goals, I always thought about the, you know, the big things. So for you, you know, the 5K example, once I've run that race, you know, I've accomplished that goal, I can tick it off. And I think that the shift for me has been into more uh, micro measurements, into what are the actual inputs and focus on the inputs that then create that output. And I think there's a lot of um, traction and dopamine release that happens when you focus on ticking off those inputs that lead to that big output. Yeah, absolutely. So 
running a 5k. I know nothing about, I, I used to be a sprinter in high school, so I knew how to sprint and run a hundred meter dash, but doing long distance was never my strong strength or like my strength. So I now know I'm looking at books and podcasts of how to get started and best practices. Right. So I have a Peloton and Peloton has easy guides of running. So I'm not just going to go out there and run a 5k. It's slow steps there and identifying those days that I can actually get out there and run. Um, and if I can't get outside and run, then I have to go out, find a treadmill somewhere in, in town and working up to that goal is super important. You're just not going to do it. So you're absolutely right. Peeling back the layers of the onion there and identifying those inputs to actually accomplish it, um, is extremely important. And I think another thing is it's okay if you don't do it that week, it's okay if you miss your goal or target that month or and whatnot, just be able to reflect on how you can pivot or have some learnings. Maybe you set the goal way too high and that's okay, but take the time to understand what you can do to improve and what learnings you actually got from missing that target or goal. We'll be right back after this word from the Compete Network. Hey everyone, I'm Jason Oakley, co-host of Compared to What, a show where my friend Federico and I dive deep into the all-important tool in a product marketer's toolkit, the comparison page. We guide you through real-life examples from brands like Shopify and Big Commerce, Chromecast and Airtable, Asana, ClickUp, and more, taking a look at the good, the bad, and sometimes the ugly along the way. So come watch Federico and myself on season one of Compared to What, only on the Compete Network. All right, back to the show. Okay, next question comes to us from Mackenzie Jones. She's a senior strategy manager at Lululemon. Um, Michelle, you talked about taking a step back to take a step forward in the last episode, uh, like accepting a role that is lower in title or less responsibility than a previous role. Um, Mackenzie says that she agrees that that can add really a ton of credibility and like catapult you forward in your career. Um, She's curious, though, in your experience, have you found it more common for women to do this in their careers than men? Oh, that's a great question. Um, yes, I don't think women have nearly as big of ego as men in roles. They're always wanting to be in that next title, whether they're um, qualified or not. And I think women take a step back to identify how they can improve to get to the title that they want to be. And it, it, it doesn't have anything to do with where you are in your career. I think it's not necessarily a bad thing where females are, re- they, they think a little bit more around where they want to go. And they think about uh, the long term gains as opposed to that short term play that uh, you can get a VP title that you're not necessarily qualified for. And then it doesn't work out uh, pretty quickly. But I think women are more long-term vision thinking in human beings, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I mean, anecdotally, I think my answer would also be yes. And I wonder if it has something to do with, you know, there's still the old, I think, biases that exist around, um, oh, some, you know, a male has had a VP title. Obviously, you know, he, he can do it. He's done it. He is it. And with women, I wonder if there's a little bit of, but has she? Should we see if she should prove it? Can we see if she actually can? That's Mm -hmm. where my mind goes. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I 
I agree 100%. I think that's a problem with some females looking at get, taking that ne- next level where there's that imposter syndrome that comes into play where they haven't actually been built up with their leadership team with confidence that they can take that next step. So they think more long-term around, okay, well, if I take a step back and I learn and I prove myself, I can get there in nine months. And in the next nine months, this is what I have to to accomplish as opposed to um, males who are typically built up in the workforce and have the confidence because of um, their leadership team just being a male in general. I think they have a, a leg up, unfortunately. I think that is pretty common in the sales world. I know a lot of in, a lot of companies that are looking for female leadership, which is amazing. I think we're starting to see a, a shift, but not that big enough of a shift. And most females that I speak to about getting promoted, they, they think about it more about how they can actually be successful long-term as opposed to a male. Not It's just all about the title. Not all males. I don't want, Some of the the males that have reported to me really want to understand how they could be successful long term as well. Uh, But most have that vision of I need to be a CRO in the next three months. It's like you you were just promoted to inside sales manager. Um, (laughs) So I think we think about things a little bit more carefully and uh, that has its pros and cons. I don't know if you've seen, I, I, I don't have the data on, on hand, but I know I've seen stats around, you know, women typically apply to jobs when they tick off every single um, mm-hmm. element of the you know success profile of the role. Whereas, you know, I don't know if it's 60% or, you know, 50% uh, tick offs for, for men who are willing to apply for it. Um, but there's yeah. a little bit of, a little bit more, maybe leap of faith and confidence in that, um, you know, I, I can expand into it. Whereas I think women have that, that, yeah, it just maybe, you know, be it natural, cultural, you know, societal <laughs> doubt that creeps in of, um, well, shouldn't I have done it before to be able to, yep. you know, know that I can already do it. Absolutely. Yeah. What else, Ben? Okay, next question comes to us from uh, Kristen Kirwak. She's a project manager at the French Development Agency. Um, as a successful executive and sales leader, Michelle, are there things that you notice you've done differently as a woman in leadership roles um, as, as opposed to a man? Um, and if so, was there any advantage in what you did? I don't think it has anything to do with being a woman. It's just my leadership style that has set me apart from some of my peers and other leaders is taking the time to listen. Um, and understanding what motivates your team. Everyone's completely different. And some leaders don't take the time to understand what the day in the life of a, a sales rep or sales leader on their team actually looks like. And they try and fit them all into the same process and same day uh, expectations and taking the time to sit and not only listen to your team, but listen to your sales calls, um, your team sales calls, providing the coaching and feedback, listen to why they think they did well or why they didn't do well, listen to their goals, their aspirations, asking these questions really sets you apart from anyone else on the team where as that's just like going through the same mundane pipeline review with no process or a clear understanding of what motivates their team. And a lot of people say, oh, I'm too busy. It's, well, you need to take the time to, to actually have a productive one-on-one and 
productive one-on-ones are not a pipeline review where you're just drilling them with questions about their deals. A productive one-on-one is identifying coaching areas that help your rep or manager improve um, in their career and also asking them what they need. Years ago, when I first started as a leader, I tried to just do everything the same. Um, And then when you have 80 people, it doesn't work. You have so many different personalities, so many different um, people on the team that like to be coached differently, so many different opinions. So actually understanding what goes on in their day, there are little things that you can learn. Uh, well, prospecting into the, the Midwest actually takes way longer than into the West Coast. And you wouldn't know that unless you take the time to understand like why and asking those questions. Uh, the unfortunate thing is a lot of leaders don't do that. Yeah, it's the the old or the classic uh, go slow to go fast mentality. And mm-hmm. you think that, yeah, especially I think as a, you're, it's so tempting once you have a playbook or you find something that works to go, ah, this is universal. You know, let's right. roll this out and, and apply this everywhere. Um, but it's not. And I think that's where the, the fun happens is that you continuously, you know, are are learning and experimenting. I think it also builds a lot of trust with the team. Um, I've managed all males, basically, most of my career. And being a female leader, trying to mandate crazy metrics that the team looks at you like, there's no way. This doesn't make any sense. But here I am, like, walking in. This is what you need to do. Uh, didn't resonate with the team. And, you know, you don't actually gain the trust and confidence with your team if you're just not understanding what their their day-to-day is like. I think that's something, you know, almost to go back to the last question of um, what you, what I'm hearing that you do differently. And, you know, the last question around, do we think it's just women who take that step back? Um, But what do you do differently as a sales leader, um, as a woman is I hear you take ownership of the success that you have and the experience that you have. And I think there's a lot of power in that. And I know having you know interviewed hundreds of people for different roles, I hear a lot of women talk you know in the collective, we did this, but there isn't a lot of stepping out to say, and I drove this, and mm-hmm. you know, and there's, and I think obviously it's important to to be a, a team member and a team player and um, and look at the collective, but I think that we forget sometimes that there's the also the importance of, and this was my initiative, and I'm the one who pushed it forward, and I'm proud of that, and it's okay to be proud of it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think it's it's also okay to realize your failures and and also teach others. So for me, when I was at Datadog, I just kept the same playbook. And looking back, I had I never took the time to actually understand early on like what it should look like until not that it was too late, but um, until you know I saw some of my team struggling and I knew that they had the ability to be successful. So just taking them in and, and identifying areas that I could actually help them. But I was, it took a long time because I was so into the forecast and into the spreadsheets and whatnot. And when I started having those conversations, it was pretty enlightening. Ben, last question. Okay. Uh, last question comes from Sasha Malkowski. She's a veterinarian. And her question is, with the clout and experience you have now, is there anything you did when you were less experienced that you would avoid now? Um, that's an interesting question. I, I think 
being a young leader with not a ton of experience, I needed to pretend that I I knew everything and I needed to try and figure it out myself where I should have just asked for help. Uh, I think it was probably the environment and culture early on that, you know, 10, 12 years ago, I don't think a lot of companies had that. But now I think it's super important to have that culture of it's okay to ask for help, regardless of your title, ask for feedback, regardless of your title. Um, Being a VP of sales at Drift, I started to ask my CRO, you know, where, how would you manage this? Or how would you handle this? Um, As opposed to, I would always try and just figure it out myself. And I would spend hours where I could just ask for help. And it took me a long time because it goes back to that. I want to be a perfectionist. I want to make sure everything's like perfect and the, um, that it's my ideas, but it's okay to raise your hand and say, I don't, I don't know where we should take this, or I don't know how to do this. Do you have any insight or can you guide me in the right direction? Um, and it actually helped me out in the long run because I was appointed an executive coach and, um, which I learned so much from, which is an amazing thing actually. Uh, to be having the same executive coach as all the other C-levels in the organization. I wouldn't have had that if I don't think I raised my hand. Yeah, I have a similar, I think, um, experience in that I would tell myself that it didn't all have to be on me. And similarly, I think rooted in that uh, needing to have the answers or needing to you know, prove that I was in the right room. Um, but what I've learned now is that if I come up with an idea or an initiative and I roll it out, others aren't bought into it. They haven't gone mm-hmm. through the same thinking process that I've gone in through. And when I ask for help and I ask for collaboration, now they're brought in. We're all doing it together. Mm-hmm. And that thing, I mean, A, there's uh, more folks involved when something you know goes wrong. We're all, we're all in it together. But if it goes right, we're all in it together. The impact is so much bigger. Uh, and that, and B, it's more fun. <laughs> you you yeah. know, I'm not having to sit quietly in a room and try to come up with some brilliant idea. I get to have conversations with people and build uh, on ideas. Yeah, I I call it my champion team within the organization. So I'm I have my champions or you know a circle of trust where we come in and we build out a plan or we a new go to market function. And I have these individuals who are also behind it, which goes a long way, especially when you're rolling something out um, or implementing something to a mass team of AEs who are very skeptical of anything that happens or change. And it's really good to build that, that empire. I call it. Yeah. Yeah. Guiding, guiding coalition. When I worked at Apple, that's what we would constantly refer to it as. Oh, that's a good idea. Who's your guiding coalition? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Who's along for the ride with you to make sure this is successful. Well, Michelle, that was fun. Uh, And a sincere thank you for spending time with us here today. Ben, appreciate your, I mean, you as a producer, but for teeing up these questions, that was amazing. And thank you to everyone who listened to the first episode and submitted your questions. Uh, Please do leave us a review and tell your friends about us. Uh, We're very grateful and it does make a difference. Join us next time to hear from Jordana Selvin, who's the co-founder of The Practice Lab, a sales coach, and a great human. See you soon.